You're listening to KBC 790. This is Matt Mattern, your host of Unite and Heal America. My guest today, Mark Carroll, uh, Breathe SoCal, uh, President and CEO, and uh, really pleasure to have Mark on the show. We're looking forward to talk to him, talking to him regarding breathing here in Southern California and uh, why uh, why we need to work on making our air cleaner. So, uh, Mark, uh, thanks for being on the show. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, uh, it sounds like you're, um, you know, like, like we joke about breathing here in L.A., but the reality is uh, we still have the worst air quality in the nation here. So we're always trying to uh, make our air cleaner, um, doing what we can. Right. It's so fundamental to everything we do. And of course, it's like water to the fish for us. So we we kind of forget about it. I know I forget about it uh, many times during the day that I'm just doing other things and not focus on breathing. It's an autonomic, right. autonomic uh, function. So um, I've, uh, I'm not a SoCal native. I'm from Chicago originally, and I came out here in the late 80s and and the air was pretty bad at the time, but it had improved dramatically from what it had been maybe in the 50s or something when we had leaded gasoline. So the big change was unleaded gasoline. Took a lot of pollution out of the air. Catalytic converters took a lot of pollution out of the air. Things of that nature made great strides from where it had been, but it was still polluted. And there were still... Right smog days and people had to stay inside and things like that. We don't have that quite as much as we used to. But as you said, our basin is still a pretty polluted place because of that ring of mountains that rings Southern California. Very beautiful, but it just keeps that uh, dirty air hanging in the, hanging in the sky. Yeah. We, um, we forget uh, well, people who grew up here who are in their 20s and 30s don't even realize how bad the air was. But in the in the 50s and 60s and 70s, the air was was horrible. And uh, but it goes all the way back to, you know, the 40s um, when all of the aerospace uh, companies started uh, growing here. And, there were, you know, L.A. became a huge manufacturing era, uh, uh, center. I don't think people realize that L.A is still a big manufacturing center. Uh, we have more manufacturing in the LA area than we do, than all of Michigan has. So there's still a lot of production here, but what we've done is impose environmental uh, restrictions on companies so that they don't pollute as much. We've uh, upgraded uh, vehicles so that with the catalytic converters and other technologies so that they're not polluting as much. But despite that, because of the number of people here, because of uh, most, Specifically, because of all the goods movement, um, this area has the Port of LA and Port of Long Beach, which are the largest uh, largest port complex in the nation and uh, fourth or fifth in the world. So, when uh, all the Pacific trade goods come here, they're coming here uh, from ships that are highly polluting, getting on trains and trucks that are highly polluting, and then going elsewhere in the country. And so we're suffering the brunt of all of that. And uh, all of these trucks are diesel. And um, we're working at Breathe SoCal to um, make uh, the, you know, to phase out diesel and to, to move towards cleaner trucks 
as soon as we can. Um, I'll just give you a little bit of background about our organization. Besides clean air, we're, we're focused on lung health, and we have uh, been uh, since the early 1900s. And um, our goal is to improve um, public health and lung health uh, specifically um, by addressing the key causes of lung disease and, and air pollution is one of them and tobacco is another one. So we have, uh, anti, we have smoking prevention programs for kids and anti-vaping programs and uh, vaping awareness for parents. And we have programs that help kids with asthma and adults with chronic lung disease. Um, we do research. We um, have a medical arm that uh, educates physicians. Um, so we have a lot of things going on and um, we're, we're, you know, working in Sacramento also uh, on efforts to um, clean up the the fleet of vehicles that particularly the fleet of trucks that are moving throughout Southern California. Well, that's a lot. We'll drill down on, uh, on those areas as we go forward. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about you and your personal journey to, to get to the organization and get to the place where you're at. Well, my background's a little unusual for a nonprofit uh, CEO. I, I, this is my first job is uh, running a nonprofit. Um, but I have a personal connection to the issues. Um, I worked for almost a decade at the South Coast Air Quality Management District dealing with environmental justice issues and um, uh, working on clean technology. And also, I have three kids with asthma. So when this um, organization uh, had an opening, uh, people approached me and said I should apply. And uh, it's been a great, so far, it's been almost four years that I've been here. And it's uh, really been a great experience. And I'm really happy. Well, it's certainly a, a, an organization has been around for a long time. As you said, I was looking up on your website and going back uh, a hundred years in LA. So that's a, that's a pretty impressive record because LA is not that old of a city to, uh, to have been around that long. And maybe you could tell us a little bit more about that history and how, how uh, this organization evolved. Well, we've been around since 1903, and our focus initially was on tuberculosis. Tuberculosis at that time was uh, an incurable disease that was or that had killed one out of every seven people that had ever been been born on this planet. And so it was a major killer throughout history. Uh, in the early 1900s, uh, there was uh, an effort to uh, promote clean air and sunshine as a way to relieve tuberculosis. Uh, and so a lot of Western cities, including LA, which was tiny at the time, uh, began promoting themselves to uh, cities, to people in cities on the East Coast to come out here and enjoy um, all of the, the sunshine. And it'd be good for your, you know, for, for those who have um, tuberculosis. The problem was a lot of people uh, took them up on it, and not just here in LA, but in a lot of Western cities. And um, the sunshine is not a cure for TB. So a lot of people were dying here and they had to figure out what to do. And so um, the history of LA uh, and a lot of the medical institutions that we have here started out as sanatoriums for 
for uh, TB patients, including City of Hope and uh, Cedars, Sinai's um, uh, predecessor, and uh, a number of, of big hospitals here. And so, um, you know, we started to try to address the TB uh, issue. And uh, later on, when uh, there was a cure developed for TB, it was not as um, big of an issue anymore when people were um, able to, to uh, uh, you know, get cured from it. We uh, moved on to the air pollution, which was a huge issue in Southern California in the 1940s. Um, you know, you had all these civic groups that were protesting wearing gas masks um, at City Hall trying to get the, uh, the, the pollution uh, addressed. And the pollution was so bad that uh, you couldn't see sometimes some days you couldn't see across the street. Uh, the, the air was so bad. Uh, it was a thick, dark fog. And uh, that led to the smoke and fog name Mog. So we, we have uh, a long history here uh, because we go back to the, to the origins of the city, you know, of the city's growth. Um, and when the Surgeon General in the 1960s announced that uh, smoking caused lung cancer, uh, we took up that issue as well. So we've been engaged on, on lung health issues in Southern California for, for many years and are, are still working to, to make sure our air is as clean as it can be because, you know, you can... You can choose not to drink dirty water. You can't choose not to not to breathe in dirty air, um, especially if you don't even know it's dirty. Well, I'm a, a very big proponent of uh, clean air, and you know, having gotten into yoga in uh, in my adulthood, it's all about breathing and uh, the importance of breath. And you one take I have had a much greater appreciation for the importance of breathing as a part of my daily life and just as a focus of my exercise routine and uh and of course want to breathe in clean air just like I want to drink clean water water but as you said uh, I can I can uh clean my water by getting an air, a water purifier but it's it's hard to do that uh for the dirty air around us so Yep. It is it is something that I think most of us don't have a, a great recognition of is what a manufacturing hub Los Angeles is and that uh, we are, as you said, a, a greater manufacturing hub than just about anywhere in the country. And people think of L.A. as Tinseltown and uh, a lot of movies and all this stuff. But really, the backbone of L.A. is a manufacturing base. But uh you know, you're listening to Unite and Heal America, KBC 790. Uh, we've been talking to Mark Carroll and of Breathe SoCal. He's both president and CEO of that organization. And we're going to talk to Mark a lot about uh, the efforts that he's uh, taking to help us get cleaner air and also the efforts that all of you can join in to uh, help in this effort. So we'll be right back. 
As you may know, your host, Matt Mattern of Unite and Heal America, is also the founder of Mattern Law Group. Their team of experienced employment, consumer, and environmental attorneys are dedicated to leveling the playing field by giving everyone access to the highest quality legal representation. Contact 844-MLG-FOR-YOU. That's 844-MLG-FOR-YOU or 844-654-4968. 844-654-4968. Listening to Unite and Heal America, KBC 790. This is Matt Mattern, your host, and we've got Mark Carroll here, Breathe SoCal president and CEO. As we were just talking to Mark about, uh, you know, all the pollution that we still have in the LA basin and what we can maybe do to uh, deal with the situation. Um, Mark, you were talking about some legislation up in Sacramento. Could you tell us more as to which pieces of legislation that you're working on and how those pieces of legislation will help uh, improve our air quality here? So we've been uh, working on efforts related to um, clean up the air and our, we actually are sponsoring uh, legislation, co-sponsoring legislation, um, AB 619 by uh, council member uh, Lisa Calderon is a bill that would help or uh, have the state and counties be better prepared when there are major smoke events, particularly from wildfires. You know, wildfires is a, uh, they're growing the size, uh, not only the size of the wildfires, but the number of wildfires and the, and the wildfire seasons longer. And people are experiencing um, significant bad air days when we do have the wildfires, um, not just here, but all over California. And it's been pretty bad uh, over the last few years where people have experienced this. And so there's a lot of confusion. What do I do if the smoke's outside from wildfires? I can smell it. And some people think, oh, okay, it's fine. I can smell it, but I don't see the wildfire. But um, it's a health hazard. And you're not just breathing in, um, you know, smoke from your uh, own fireplace. You're breathing in, uh, you know, burn down trees, burn down houses, burn down, uh, uh, you know, businesses and all the plastics and all the other um, chemicals that come out of it. And so uh, it can be very, very dangerous. And so what we want is to make sure that counties, which aren't usually prepared for the um, health impacts of smoke, uh, they're, they're focused on the firefighting impacts of the fires, um, are have a plan in place. And uh, know what to say to the public when the public's concerned. Should they be going out? Should they not? Should be, they be canceling school? Should they be canceling uh, children's sports? Um, what should they do? Where should they go to get the information? And people who don't have homes, um, what should they do? And how should the counties deal with that or people working outside? So there's, uh, we just want to make sure that they're prepared. Uh, I don't know uh, how many people uh, have heard, uh, but if, two years ago, two or three years ago when there was a big fire, the huge fire in, in Paradise up Northern California, uh, the smoke was was really, really bad. And the Sacramento City and Sacramento County were giving conflicting information to the public about what to do with masks. And that's the kind of problem that we want to avoid and have everyone prepared next time when uh, this will happen, because we know there's, there's going to be more um, wildfires. 
Well, it certainly uh, it is a great danger. And I was just shocked. I was up in Northern California when that started in August of 2019. And uh, the amount of smoke I drove back to LA, the smoke was in the air for 300 to 400 miles. I mean, it yeah. was just unbelievable how large of an area the uh was filled by the uh, smoke from those wildfires. It was truly breathtakingly bad. Um, and if you looked at the air quality index that those days, and then there have been a few wildfires since where it's happened as well, um, San Francisco and the Bay Area were, I believe, uh, the worst air quality in the world at that time, worse than than uh, India and Pakistan and uh many of the other areas with really, really bad air. So um, the wildfires really can can be very, very uh, serious uh, health hazards. And so we want to make sure people know to stay indoors and, and protect themselves. Any other pieces of legislation that you're working on uh, up in Sacramento or anything locally? Well, we've been working um, also on the flavor tobacco bans and there was a statewide ban enacted uh, a year ago in the legislature that we were big proponents of enacting. And then Big Tobacco has funded uh, a signature campaign and gotten that law to uh, be on the ballot next year. So there'll be a referendum on that law next year. And so we're part of the group that's trying to urge people to keep the law in place and, ban and keep the ban on flavored tobacco products, uh, which is particularly focused on, on vaping products um, in place. And um, most people are aware of the, the increase in vaping among youth and how the targeting of youth through flavoring um, the vaping pods and, and, and the e-cigarettes with um, bubble gum and, and candy flavors and fruit flavors to keep uh, younger people um, to buy them and to get hooked. So we were a big uh, supporter of that and worked on that uh, last year. And so now we are working to try to um, do two things. One, when the referendum comes up next year to try to uh, defeat the referendum, but also we're trying to uh, work at the local level here in Southern California so that local cities pass their own flavor bans in case the statewide ban is overturned. Uh, and so we've been working in a number of cities here, including uh, the city of L.A., which still has not adopted uh, a flavor ban, but uh, did did uh, hold um, a take testimony on the issue a few weeks ago. And so uh, that'll come back to them and hopefully we'll get a ban passed and we'll hopefully we'll get a ban passed. You know, the bigger issue um, or one of the big issues is the exceptions and the carve outs and. So the question has has been about carving out in many of these jurisdictions, carving out menthol, um, which is the one flavor they want to keep uh, because menthol is a huge money maker. Menthol cigarettes, uh, particularly, are a huge money maker for big tobacco. And the other thing is uh, hookah, which you know hookah is a. Uh, there's a lot of uh, um, uh, stores, cafes that are providing hookah, and they wanted to keep that in place. Um, although our concern is that uh, the law be actually enforced, which requires that if you're 
providing hookah in your establishment, you're also not selling liquor and food. So um, that'll come back and that'll, that's still an issue here in LA and we'll see what happens. Well, and I uh, just want to clarify. So there is a current statewide ban on, on flavored tobaccos. Is that so the statewide ban was put on hold because of the referendum. Once they got enough signatures um, to put it on the ballot, uh, I guess once they file that they want to do this, it's on hold and then it went on the ballot. So it doesn't go into effect unless the referendum fails. Huh. Well, that's kind of strange because uh, I, my understanding is kind of like once they passed a law, that's the law. But uh, there's an exception for referendums. Yeah. So in terms of it, when, so there's actually never been a ban on flavored tobacco at this point in time. They, that ban never went in. There is no statewide ban, but a number of local jurisdictions do have their own local bans in place. Oh, okay. Because it yeah. seemed like I wasn't seeing quite as many kids out vaping as I had in the past. But of course, my sci- my uh, sample is less than scientific. So I, I certainly don't know if that's actually true. But Well, you know, we're seeing, um, there's some data showing that the number of kids who are vaping now has decreased because of COVID, because obviously seeing their friends in school was an incentive to do this with their friends. Um, But we don't know if there's going to be a jump back with it. And also there are still a lot of kids who did start it and they're hooked on it um, Mm -hmm. because most of them, uh, many of them didn't realize that they were vaping nicotine and nicotine is one of the um, most addictive substances. And so uh, a lot of these kids are vaping not because they want to anymore, but because uh, they can't quit. Right. Well, wh- why don't we uh, change tracks and talk about the train issue and the truck issue uh, here in L.A., in particular related to the port of Long Beach and and all the pollution that is coming out of those two major ports in L.A. and Long Beach and all the uh, traffic that they generate that comes in and out of that port and what can we do to reduce that uh, that pollution that's coming from that source well you know the diesel pollution is a carcinogen uh, the state has known about it and has declared it a carcinogen um, uh, I think in 2012 and other agencies and even the feds know that it is um, the, the particulate matter from diesel exhaust is um, a health hazard, and yet nothing has been done about addressing it. Uh, people recognize it, and then they just move on. And so we're uh, hopeful uh, on a few fronts. One, that the technology, um, which has gotten a lot better, and we know we're very close to seeing electric trucks, will be here soon and uh, that we can do something about the diesel fuel issue specifically. Right. Well, I'm a, a big proponent to, of alternative fl- fuel, and uh, I know that uh, hydrogen has uh, been proposed to be used on trucks and that it could be even a, a more effective fuel source than electric trucks uh, because the better uh, way to store the energy, yep. uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about that uh, when we get back as to that and, and many other issues related to cleaning our air here in Southern California. You listen to Unite and Heal America 
KBC 790. This is Matt Matter and your host. Our guest today, Mark Carroll and uh, Breathe SoCal, will be back in just one moment. You're listening to Unite and Heal America, KBC 790. This is Matt Matter and your host and our guest, Mark Carroll, Breathe SoCal, President and CEO. We were talking about the Port of Long Beach, Mark, and, and uh, Port of LA and the type of pollution that's coming out of there. And of course, we also have the pollution coming from the ships that are seated, they're um, offshore. And those are some of the biggest polluters in the world. Uh, have we done taken any steps to address the, the ships that are belching uh, toxins into our air? Well, there's been some efforts to address the ship pollution, which has is even worse than diesel pollution. Um, they use what's called bunker fuel, which is the sludge that's the byproduct of diesel production. So it's really thick and um, and burns really, really um, poorly. So you get a lot of, of pollution from it. Um, there was the problem with regulating ships is they're not regulated by the local state or even federal level. They're internationally regulated. And so you have to have international treaties adopted. Uh, there was a recent treaty adopted, I would say, about eight years ago, which um, has a- ended up cutting the sulfur comp- co- uh, composition of the uh, fuel used. And they have to um, make sure that it has uh, less sulfur uh, oxides in the um, emissions. But uh, there's still a lot of nitrous oxides and particulate matter coming through, which is the the um, the nitrous oxides cause are are a big component of ozone, which is uh, ground level smog, and uh, the particulate matter is the soot that comes out the the haze. It creates the haze in the air and is the stuff that sits on your windowsill uh, if you don't clean it too often. And so um, we we are happy that there are efforts uh, by the ports to require those ships to plug in when they get into port. Um, because that puts them on electric power instead of using their diesel um, uh, engines that burn the bunker fuel to sit for days while they're basically idling um, to unload their stuff. They have to keep their engines on. There's there's two sets of engines, and they have to keep the engines on that run the um, the internal systems because people, um, the, the folks who work on the ship, uh, don't leave if they don't have any of the, um, the visas uh, from their country to get into the U.S. So they stay on the ship. And so all of the air conditioning and the refrigeration and, and everything for them has to stay on. And so by requiring the ships to plug in, they can use electricity to run those systems instead of uh, have to burn um, poor air, um, um, uh, make poor air out of uh, by burning the bunker fuel. But the problem we've seen recently is with the huge backlog of deliveries from the ships because um, the trade from China was delayed during COVID, and now all these ships are coming and they're delivering products, and that's uh, and they're delivering goods from uh, other countries. There's this huge backlog of ships coming into the harbor to dock and unload, and so um, you're seeing. A lot of times when I've been to the beach in the last uh, month or so, I'm seeing a lot of ships in the uh, in the distance and they're sitting out there and they're not plugged in. And so you have uh, a lot of pollution coming from these ships. And 
that's a a huge problem uh, in the region. You know, we we talk about uh, diesel trucks as being the main source of of pollution in our region. Um, if we can move those diesel trucks to become electric or hydrogen or even low NOx natural gas, which is the cleanest version of natural gas trucks, um, then then we'll reduce that um, source by significant amount. And the next big source are the ships. And that's a lot tougher to deal with simply because we don't have the regulatory power to do that. Well, we certainly would do what we would be wise to consume a, a little bit less uh, of the non-essential goods that we get from other countries that uh, just kind of junk. I think we consume stuff. I, I mean, this may not be the most politically correct thing to say, but uh, <laughs> you know, our economy is kind of driven by consuming endless amounts of junk. But I've, I have noticed some, some things on the horizon. One is that they're talking about, and they're actually doing this, putting sales on some of these big container ships, which make them cleaner and so they're less polluting. Uh, and then the second issue relating to the discharge of, it must be the oil in the water because I see these blobs of oil that show up on the beach. And one, if you happen to be unwise enough to step on one there it's it sticks to your bottom of your feet like you've been permanently marked by this gob of i'm i'm thinking it might be oil from the ships or it might be oil from some other source but i i think that that's the most likely source uh what do you what's your understanding i can't speak to the blobs of oil on the beach um i don't know anything about that but um i do know that um with regard to the sails on the ships uh, that's something that some companies are looking at. And there are some very progressive companies that are moving goods across uh, the oceans and they're looking at ways that they can reduce uh, their emissions. And sales is one thing. Uh, another is uh, changing from the bunker fuel to a, a cleaner natural gas. Um, and so some of these things are being experimented with right now because uh, while the shippers themselves um, don't have a requirement internationally, um, a lot of the companies are trying to be much more sustainable and much more responsible. And that's one of the things that we are looking at. Um, we, we have a campaign called End Diesel Now. We're trying to end the use of diesel fuel in California. Uh, we would like uh, it to be phased out uh, over an eight to 10 year period. And um, we're trying to get legislation introduced next year to do that, um, we think that too, for too long, the efforts have been focused on the technologies that are using the diesel and not on the diesel, which is the cause of the, of the pollution and the harm. So um, we hope that we can um, reduce and uh, nearly eliminate the use of diesel. We can't uh, totally eliminate diesel being sold uh, because there's a constitutional issue of the Commerce Clause. If they use it in other states, we can't forbid it from being used. Um, but we can reduce it um, very, very low, uh, sales to be very low so that it's not a significant source of emissions here. Um, and the other thing we're doing is um, because, you know, one of the things that we tried to work on last year was at the ports when they were looking at the amount of uh, the amount of trucks who are uh, run on diesel and it's in the thousands that come in and pick up loads or drop off loads. 
And what they said was that they are going to adopt a fee on every cargo container. And that fee will go into a fund that will help the truckers buy cleaner trucks, offset the cost of a hydrogen or a natural gas or an electric truck, um, which are much more expensive than a, a diesel truck. So we were happy that they were going to do that. And we urged them to adopt a fee in the $50 range um, per 20, 20 foot um, container. But uh, they went with a $10 fee, which doesn't really do as much as, as we think is necessary. And then on top of that, they never actually started collecting the fee. They approved it, but never enacted it. So over the last year and a half during COVID, um, it has since they the shipping has come back, they have had a record month. They have had more trade coming in and out of the ports of LA and Long Beach than they've ever had in any month previous. And so they've lost um, our calculation. If they had started collecting the fee, it would have been about three quarters of a billion dollars they would have collected. But um, they didn't do any of this. And so we're still where we were a year and a half ago. Um, the ports have a, a reputation for taking credit for you. Uh, uh, for a settlement agreement that required them to cut emissions uh, 10, 15 years ago, uh, the Clean Air Action Plan. And everything they talk about today is still based on those efforts. Um, they talked about reducing pollution by 90%, but um, it was 90% from those huge numbers, and it's still huge numbers, and they haven't moved from those numbers in years. So we are very frustrated with the ports. And so what we've recognized is we're probably not going to get very far pushing them. Um, we need to push the companies like Amazon and Target and Lowe's and Home Depot and uh, the other big retailers uh, and focus on their practices. Most of them have said that they're being more sustainable. They're being um, more environmentally conscious and uh, aware of their climate footprint. And so we want to track that and see um, and give them a rating uh, to highlight which ones are doing well, which ones aren't, and which kind of trucks they use to move their cargo, and whether it's clean trucks or whether it's diesel trucks is going to be a big component of that. Well, that uh, sounds like a great effort. I wanted to just kind of back up on this this issue of the fee and not being collected. So, so you're saying that the Port of Long Beach and Port of LA had enacted this fee. Uh, tell us a little bit about the which political body would be responsible for for making sure this is actually effectuated? So the Port of Long Beach is controlled by a board of harbor commissioners uh, that is appointed, all of them are appointed by the mayor of Long Beach. And the Port of LA is run by the board of harbor commissioners who are all appointed by the mayor of Los Angeles. And so uh, these boards, um, are, are often do what their mayors want them to do. And yet they are, well, the, the ports are, are also run by executive directors who, um, general managers who run these organizations like a business. 
they're focused on making sure they have as much business coming in, as many ships coming in, and as many trucks coming to take these these deliveries out, so that by increasing the number of uh, the amount of cargo that comes into these ports, the port makes more money. the The hitch is twofold. One, the money has to stay at the ports; they can't spend it anywhere else. So they're just um, it's a cycle. The more money they make, the more they spend on themselves. It does create jobs at the ports, but it also, the more that comes in creates more pollution. And even though they're, uh, city agencies that are, um, on state land, they are not focused. They'll say they are, but they haven't been focused, um, on the impacts they're having on the community, particularly the pollution impacts which have significantly impacted uh, the areas around the port. And um, most of the city of, of Long Beach uh, and the harbor area of LA, San Pedro, uh, harbor, uh, harbor, um, harbor Gateway and Wilmington, all of that is, a, uh, is highly polluted because they are seeing all these trucks, trains and ships right in their neighborhood. Well, I'm just asking for who should we ask as uh, citizens of Los Angeles or citizens of Long Beach uh, or, or the surrounding community for accountability as to why is this $10 fee not being collected? And it should it be collected by both the Port of Long Beach and the Port of LA, or was this just as to one of them? They jointly approved this. Um, they worked together on some of these. Um, uh, what's called their Clean Air Action Plan. So any efforts that's trying to address uh, environmental impacts, they try to do together. Um, and so both boards, uh, both harbor commissions adopted the fees. Um, one of them, and I, to be honest, I can't remember which one, recently said that they were going to um, plan to implement it in the uh, last quarter of the year. Uh, so... Uh, I didn't quite understand why they needed to have a hearing to tell us that they're not going to do something for another several months, but they are, um, they're all responsible to the mayor uh, and the city council. And so if you uh, agree with us, uh, you can go on ndieselnow.org to get more information and to email your, your elected officials, but it's the members of the city council of Long Beach and LA, and it's particularly the the mayors who are responsible for appointing these members and who could tell these members that they should adopt a fee and adopt a larger fee uh, ASAP. Absolutely. Well, you've you've heard it here now. Uh, call the mayor of uh, the city of Los Angeles and call the mayor of Long Beach and tell them we want these fees to be collected and they probably should be increased because quite frankly, our air is filthy uh, from all these polluting diesel trucks and uh, as well as the ships and we need to clean it up. And I think that might send the message to the powers that be that if they have to pay some kind of tax, they may change their behavior. I mean, that sometimes works. Well, if nothing else, it would allow as you said, to use some of that money to buy cleaner trucks or subsidize the uh, purchase of cleaner trucks so that we would then have cleaner air in and around uh, Southern California. You've been listening to United Heal America, KBC 790. My guest, Mark Carroll, uh, will be back in just one minute.
You've been listening to Unite and Heal America, KBC 790. This is Matt Mattern, your host. We've got Mark Carroll, Breathe SoCal, president and CEO of that organization. And we've been talking to Mark about the Port of LA and, and uh, clean air down there. And one of the things that I wanted to talk to Mark about was, uh, you know, his organization. And I know you, you guys get some funding from energy companies like Sempra and, and uh, wondered how does that affect your organization and, you know, the concern that uh, those energy companies can be trying to put their fingers uh, on the messaging and, and alter things a bit? And what uh, controls do you have to kind of protect against that? Well, we, um, you know, when, when people ask me, oh, you get gas company money. I have to remind them we also get money uh, from uh, Edison. We get money. We've gotten money from Tesla. We get money from electric vehicle manufacturers and, and other organizations that uh, promote uh, clean, um, clean uh, and zero emission vehicles. And so, um, you know, we have uh, board members from both uh, the gas company and Edison. We have uh, we we try to play it. Um, straight and say that this is our position and we're happy to have you on our board. We're happy to have your input, um, but we don't change our position because um, of one or the other. And when we apply for money, we tell them exactly what we're going to do with the money and how we're going to spend it beforehand. And, um, you know, we're, we're pretty transparent about, about that. So um, we don't take any money from the tobacco industry and, uh, we don't take any money from um, uh, the oil industry, uh, but we do have money from both the gas company and from Edison because we believe that what they're both doing on uh, Edison moving to helping us move towards cleaner electric vehicles and uh, the gas company helping us move towards uh, hydrogen um, and you know they they have a huge strategic plan to move. Uh, and increase the hydrogen infrastructure in this state. We think they're both important for um, going forward. So uh, tell us a little bit about that in terms of um, what the gas company is doing to increase the hydrogen infrastructure here in California. They've been working on efforts to, um, you know, develop, you know, research and develop cleaner options for natural gas as well as for hydrogen and hydrogen we uh, you mentioned earlier is a another zero emission fuel that um, we see as a, a big uh, component of the future vehicle fleet of the state particularly with the heavy duty vehicles electric vehicles are you know we have a position that we are fuel neutral uh, some people have taken the position that they only want electric our view is if a fuel is uh, going to help us get to zero emission in this state, it should definitely be considered. And hydrogen has a different duty cycle than electric vehicles do. So while electric vehicles are, um, are going to be great for the short haul trips because they, their charging takes a lot longer, um, hydrogen is going to be great for the long haul tracks across the country because they can fuel in a much quicker time. And so we think both of those technologies are going to be part of the future um, 
in terms of the different fuels that sure. people will be using. Well, you certainly don't have to commute convert me on the hydrogen issue because I'm on my second hydrogen-powered car. But for the rest <laughs> of the audience, uh, they may they need a little more conversion on that front. But uh, tell us what the gas company, you know, what steps they've taken that are, are concrete steps that have helped roll out the infrastructure for a more hydrogen-based economy. Well, they, as I said, they have a plan that will move, um, will help the uh, development because they already have the infrastructure for natural gas. And so they're looking at how that can be converted to a hydrogen delivery system in the future. Um, and I think that's important to know that we're not just looking at uh, the grid, uh, the electric grid uh, to power everything in the state, but that there's other sources because if the grid goes down, which it sometimes does. Um, you know, we need to make sure that there's alternatives. Well, let um, me just quickly pivot to Edison because we don't have a whole lot of time left, and and you could tell us a little bit about what Edison is doing to uh, help us get to uh, a net zero emission economy here in uh, California. Uh, Edison has been really strong in uh, advocating for um, moving towards zero emission vehicles. Uh, they have been promoting zero emission vehicles and we've been working with them on that. Um, we've also been working with them on efforts related to uh, wildfires, um, but they're, they're trying to shore up the grid um, and that's a much bigger, much bigger project uh, for the whole state. Um, Let me ask you, about, uh, ask you a follow-up on that as far as microgrids. Uh, is is Edison working in unison with the the companies that are trying to to roll out microgrids and and should we be rolling out microgrids? To be honest, I don't have the answer for that. I don't know uh, if they're doing that. I know that renewable energy uh, and uh, is coming online and uh, distributed generation is a key component of that. But I can't tell you if they're working with the companies from microgrids. I just don't know. Sure. Well, uh, Mark, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, you've been listening to Unite and Heal America, KBC 790. And my hope, my guest, uh, Mark Carroll from Breathe SoCal, President and CEO, doing great work there. And really appreciate having you here and sharing with our audience uh, a lot of great information about what's happening in Southern California. And hopefully, you know, they can reach out to your organization, uh, Breathe Southern California, and, uh, and help you. Yeah, our website is breathesocal.org for more information about the lung health programs uh, that we have and for more information on our diesel efforts and dieselnow.org. Thank, thank you very you. much, Mark. And uh, we'll be back next week with another edition of Unite and Heal America on KBC 790. This is Matt Matter and signing off.